First Timothy chapter 5 this evening, we are nearing the end, at least of the first part of our study through the pastoral epistles. And I hope they have been an encouragement to you as they have been to me, just reading through what Paul has wanted to say to his young disciple, his young protege, Timothy, as he is leaving him there in the pastorate of Ephesus, the church there. He is telling him many things that he was about to face. And how he was to face them, what he was to instill in his church, what he was to spend the bulk of his time uh, prioritizing and practicing in the church. And really, as we've seen so far, mostly what this has dealt with is God's doctrine of the church and what that means for man's role in it. What it means for man and men and women to be in the church and function as the church, how are they are to operate, as it says in chapter 3 at the end, as the pillar and ground of the truth. What does that mean? What does that mean for us as church goers? Of course, chapters 2 and 3 really predominantly deal with our roles as men and women in the church. Of course, we went through that. We saw how uh, both of us play very specific roles in the church. We have specific functions to perform, and and we are to perform them in a specific way. At the beginning of chapter 4, we saw uh, the sort of message Timothy was to proclaim The sort of message he was to teach, one that was focused on what the Spirit does through him. Not sort of outward ordinances that he can control, but it's how the Spirit moves and grows and and preaches through him. And then that very message that he was to proclaim is something that he was to practice as well. We saw that at the end of chapter 4 where it says Timothy is, or Paul is calling him to, as it says in verse 12 of chapter 4, to be an example. Be an example of the believers. And he says in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. And then in chapter 5... Which is our text for this evening. All of chapter 5. All 25 verses really. We have I think the function of the church. As it is God's family. Now to be honest with you. I really wrestled with this chapter. Because if you just read it. uh, In just a sitting. It's a very specific chapter. Specific in that I mean. It's written specifically to Timothy. And so it has a lot of things. That are applicable to his time frame. And in his time. As he was ministering at Ephesus. And I think it's important. Not to get kind of bogged down in that. But to realize and see. I think what this chapter talks about. As it talks about the church of God. And we see them operating as a family. I think we see here. I think that's what we see. The church of God. As a family, how is the church and the people in it, as they are performing and functioning as the church, how are they being formed by the gospel by which they are proclaiming and by which they are living? You can see that very clearly. He, he, Paul is moving from sort of the, uh, from the personal sort of side of ministry, that which was to be in Timothy's heart, that which was to uh, define his life, and now he's sort of telling him how the public ministry was to go about. What is he supposed to do in the church? What is the church supposed to do in the world? I think that's what you're going to find here in chapter 5. Really, I think uh, what we could say is this. 
the first chapter of Timothy is really dealing with sort of the vertical doctrine of the church, if you'll allow me to say that. The, the vertical in that, it is God's message coming down to us. It's the gospel of Christ, as it says in verse 15, of Christ Jesus coming into the world to save sinners. And then in chapters 2 and 3, we really have this corporate doctrine of the church. This idea of what it does to systematize and allow the church to have order and function. And then we have in chapter 4 sort of that, that personal doctrine of the church. This, Timothy, is how you are to live. This is how you are to preach. This is what you are to preach. And this is how that preaching should affect your heart and your life. And now here, all of that comes before chapter 5, which really, I think, deals with the horizontal doctrine of the church. It's how the gospel of God, the gospel by which he is supposedly or supposed to be forming his whole entire ministry and life, how that gospel affects the horizontal relationships and ministries and affects of the church. How does that gospel do that? And what does that look like? I think Paul is describing that to us here. He's describing that to us in a, a couple ways. And I think really what you see here, this uh, we might even say is the gospel in action. This is the Christianity. This is Christianity in action. This is what it kind of looks like. It, well, this is kind of what it looks like for those who have been inundated and immersed in the gospel message. This is what it looks like for them how to function. Yes, with their family, but also yes, with society as well. So here we have three quick lessons. I think here in this text. At least three specific uh, cases of Paul writing to Timothy of how he was to function in these sort of horizontal realms as the church. So in verses 1 and 2, I think we have a lesson about Timothy's demeanor toward the flock. Timothy's demeanor toward the flock. Look at what he says. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, the elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters with all purity. Here he lays out in very simple, very direct, very straightforward uh, terms what ought to define Timothy's demeanor toward the flock, toward those in his church. Hey, Timothy, here's how you're supposed to act as their pastor, as the one who is leading them, supposedly to be shepherding them. And I think we can sum up these two verses in, by the very word which defines all three sections. It's that word honor. You see it in verse 3 where he says honor the widows. You also see it in verse 17 where it says let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor. I really think that encapsulates this sort of demeanor, his actions, his words, how he carried himself with those in his church, with his flock, with those he was shepherding, is to be summed up by this word honor. So the gist of his life to his church, honor them. Show honor to everyone that he served. Regardless of how they related to him, he was to revere them, to respect them, to show them a regard which they were due. Because they were his brothers and sisters. They were, yes, also his spiritual fathers and mothers. He was respect them, value them, cherish them. Cherish them as his own family. It says elder in verse 1. This is not... The, the, the way that we can, we've seen it before, talked about elder meaning sort of pastor or overseer of the church. This just means an elderly man. 
Rebuke not an elderly man, but entreat him as a father. Honor the older men as you would your own dad, he's saying. Treat him with that type of respect. The ones that are in your church, which you, yes, Timothy, you are leading. You ought to respect them and rebuke them, yes, if need be, in such a way that honors them, that reveres them, that shows them that you value them as your, uh, as your family in the faith. We know, we saw, Timothy is a young man. A young pastor leading this church. He's been put there by Paul on mission to lead this church. He says in chapter 4 to let them not despise your youth. He talked about being an example. And yet how you be an example is when you have to confront those which you are older, which are older than you do so in a way that doesn't embarrass them. That doesn't openly challenge them and leave them sort of in the dust of your pride. Rebuke them respectfully. You're a pastor, Timothy. You should do this with honor. Honor them. Notice what he says too. He says, the elder women as mothers. I think this was a uniquely sort of resonating statement by Paul to Timothy. Why? Because, turn with me, jumping ahead a few pages to 2 Timothy chapter 1. In verse 5. Because Timothy was really discipled and raised by his mother and grandmother. It says in verse 5 of chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee. Which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice. And I am persuaded that in thee also. He's reminding Timothy there of how his faith came to be. Yes, he had faith in Jesus Christ and it was discipled and nurtured by the influence of his mom and his grandmother. And here he's saying, just as you cherish them, Eunice and Lois, for their pouring into you and your lives, cherish the elder women that are in your church the same way. Honor them. They are worthy of your same affection, your same dignity, your same respect, Timothy. This is how you be an example. This is how the gospel changes your heart and your life. They are worthy of that. Also, too, the brothers and the sisters. Notice again, it says in verse 1, And the younger men as brethren, and the younger sisters, verse 2, with all, as sisters with all purity. All of Timothy's associates in life and in ministry were, you could say, his siblings. <laughs> they were equal citizens in God's kingdom. They were on equal standing with him as he was leading the church. They were not his subordinates. They were not his inferiors in any such stretch of the term. He was not to take advantage of them. He was to honor them. Yes, just give them the respect and the regard that they were due as his brothers and sisters in the faith. That term at the end there, verse 2, with all purity, is a very affecting term. And its inference, of course, is the honesty and integrity with which Timothy was to pastor these younger women in his church. Of course, that means don't get yourself into trouble, Timothy. Don't scandalize the church and the gospel by getting yourself into harm's way. Cherish and honor them. Not just for the sake of your own testimony, but for theirs as well. Give them the due that they deserve as your sisters. 
I think here, just in this first couple verses here, we are really, I think, clearly seeing that Timothy's uh, honorable demeanor towards his church really kind of reveals the type of God that he serves. He's treating his flock as his family. He's not, their, he's not their dictator. He's not a tyrannical ruler. He's not some sort of uh, heady CEO or boss who just commands and demands his way. He is loving them as a leader, yes, but as a brother, as, one, as a son. As one who has the honor and respect of a son and a brother. The church was his family. And he was to love them as such. He was to give them the honor and respect as his own family. What a powerful statement of Paul to Timothy. Timothy, this is the people that God has given you. Has given you to lead. Has given you to serve. Has given you to minister unto. Do so with all of your heart and your life. They are not just people to Friddle away with. They are those which you are to pour your heart and life in. As you would your own family. Timothy this is your role. This is your uh, demeanor towards the flock. But look in verse 13 down through 16. I think we have the second sort of horizontal relationship that he describes. I think here we see Timothy's duty toward the destitute. Look at verse 3. It says honor widows. That are widows indeed. But if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents. For that is good and acceptable before God. Now she that is a widow indeed and desolate trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. And these things give in charge that they may be blameless. Here he talks about Timothy's duty toward the destitute, specifically those who, as he says here, are widows indeed. That are truly widows. And he's going to define what that means here uh, in a couple verses. Timothy, your job as the pastor is to lead your church well in acts of compassion. But I, what we have to notice here, and I think what really stands out to me, is it's not just sort of a free pass to whoever they see in need. It's a very specific way in which this church was to function to meet the needs of those who were destitute. Because you see, just as a family ought to support its own first, so should the church care for those in whom is its flock. The church isn't a welfare state. It's not a church that just passes out handouts. It's care and compassion is an extension of the church's mission, but not its primary one. The primary mission of the church is to function as that pillar and ground of truth, which is to be proclaimed from all places and venues and avenues and from all places. To proclaim that truth that God saves, yes, even the chiefest of sinners. And an extension of that ministry certainly is the fruit of what he describes here. The fruit of caring and compassion for those who are in need. And I think this mission stands out because he describes it so intricately. 
If you go to Acts chapter 6, you don't have to go there, but the early church, as it was being formed, as it was really being sort of grounded and uh, being systematized, we might say, uh, in Acts chapter 6, Paul uh, or Paul and many of the other elders, well, not Paul, it was uh, the other elders at the time, uh, Peter, uh, they were meeting together and they, they were finding that the widows in their area were being left, uh, left alone and left in need, grave need. And that's where we get the, the, the specific passage where the elders of the church of Jerusalem call and, and appoint the very first deacons so that they could meet the needs for those who were especially needy. And yes, this honor here, this, as it says, honor widows that are widows indeed, does mean what you think it means. It means financial support, yes, but also I think emotional uh, care and spiritual presence. It was all realms, they were, the church was to function as a church to those, as he says, that are widows indeed. These widows under the church's care were truly destitute. They were without sort of earthly means of subsistence. Verse 5, look at what, she, look at what it says. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, now she that is a widow indeed and desolate trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. Let me look at verse number 9. Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, having been the wife of one man. Taken into the number really literally means registered, enrolled. They had an official enrollment into this ministry. It was something which Paul took very seriously. And I, he was, I think, telling Timothy to take it just as seriously. To care for them, yes, but to make sure that the church's care is being ministered in an appropriate way. And here he describes the widows that are sort of the criteria, we might say, that are widows indeed. He has a couple rules that he lays out. You'll notice them throughout this passage, down through verse 16. He has a couple rules that he lays out as, as for those who are to come under the care of the church. Care, specific care. Care, yes, by monetary means, but also many other things. And you'll notice in verses 6 and 7 that we have sort of this rule of decorum. Look at what he says. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. And these things give in charge that they may be blameless. And look at verse 10. Well reported of for good works. If she have brought up children. If she have lodged strangers. If she have washed the saints feet. If she have relieved the afflicted. If she have diligently followed Every good work. Here he describes sort of the lifestyle and the character that was to be taken into consideration before these widows were to be taken into care of the church. He describes in verse 6, those who, as he says, were living in pleasure, living for themselves. Really, that phrase means living a prodigal's life. She wasn't sort of a spiritual matriarch. This one was one who was just chasing after life for themselves. She was alive to the world instead of being dead to it. She was alive to the things that she cared for most for her own self. And I think he's asking Timothy to, uh, before you engage in such compassionate ministries, be sure, Timothy, you look how these that are being taken into your care, how they carry themselves. How do they manage their families? What type of reputation do they have? He says in verse 10 again, They who are to be enrolled are to be well reported of for good works. 
generous with their time, hospitable with their own means. I love how in verse uh, 10 there, it says, if she have relieved the afflicted. It's the same idea from verse 16, where it says, if any man or woman that believeth that excuse me, believeth have widows, let them relieve them. I think what he's saying here is that they're such, is, they have such a faithful reputation that they have been uh, givers of the very same compassion by which now they are benefiting. It's the same word, relieve, in both instances. They've been giving of themselves, and now, Timothy, it's time to take care of them as they are in the twilight years of their life. We have the rule of decorum. Take care, Timothy, how you manage this ministry. Look also to verse 4 and in verse 16 again. We have this rule of relatives. Look at verse 4. But if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents. For that is good and acceptable before God. Here he's saying, this is a very important ministry, Timothy. Timothy, this is something that, as James says elsewhere, is the evidence of true religion. It's the true gospel in action. And therefore, we are to take it seriously. And he says here that those who are living relatives of those who are widows indeed have the primary responsibility for this care. They are to demonstrate the gospel in their own family lives first. The ministry of relief, this ministry of honor here to these who are destitute fell on their own flesh and blood first. He says, if they have living relatives, Timothy, they are to care for them. That's what he's getting after in verse 16, where he says, if any man or woman that believeth have widows, let them relieve them. And let not the church be charged, that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. He's describing here. The fact that those who sort of just had this prefigured expectation. Oh, the church will take care of that. I don't have to care for those who are elderly in life. I don't have to care for them at all. Uh, It's actually seen here, Paul is describing. It's actually robbing the church of them functioning as a true ministry of relief. He says, again, look at notice what he says, and let not the church be charged. Let them not be responsible or inundated with this. Why? That way it can be free to relieve them that are truly widows. He's describing here, there's some of you that are being lazy. There's some, Timothy, in your midst that are being lazy. They are not caring for those which are are to fall under their care. They're renouncing the faith. Look at verse 8. He has such strong words for those who have no care for their own families. Look at what he says. But if any provide not for his own, and specially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. A strong censure from the apostle. A strong reprimand. Saying these are to fall under their charge, Timothy. You charge them this way. They have a responsibility to care for their families. And yet, if they haven't, if they haven't, they're denying the faith. They're putting their own needs before others. And in that way, they are essentially resisting the gospel. They are disallowing the gospel to have an effect on their horizontal life and horizontal relationships. 
Notice verse 9. Because we have the third sort of rule that Paul is going over here. He has the rule of age. He says, let not a widow be taken into the number, taken and enrolled under three score years old, having been the wife of one man. Look at verse 11. It says, but the younger widows refuse. For when they have begun to wax wanton against Christ, they will marry. Interesting passage. Again, very specific to Timothy's ministry in Ephesus here. But he's, I think, really getting at the heart of what this ministry was supposed to be. Again, it's caring for, quote, widows indeed. Those who had no living earthly relatives to care for them or provide means of subsistence. And he says here, refuse those who are younger. This isn't because their needs are any less than those who are elderly. Why? It's because they still have this energy of life that usually fits them and makes them able to get remarried. That's what he says there in verse 11. They will wax wanton against Christ and they will marry. Again, Paul is not one for saying that remarriage is wrong. He says that in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7. He says that elsewhere throughout his epistles. I don't think that's what he's saying here. But the specificity of it is the fact that they have been enrolled, Timothy, beforehand into this register of widows by which fall under the church's care. But by remarrying, by uh, going against sort of that, quote, vow of being a widow that is being cared for by the church, they are refusing and disqualifying themselves from that ministry. It's an abandonment, he says, verse 12. Look at, he says, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith. They've forgotten what Christ meant to them. They waxed. They waxed disple- displeasing they, uh, and disbelieving that God can satisfy them. Yes, even throughout their entire lives. And it turns into idleness. Notice what he says in verse 13. And with all they learn to be idle. Wandering about from house to house. And not only idle but tattlers. And also busybodies. Speaking things which they ought not. Many times he was saying these younger widows who have been brought into the care of the church just get lazy. They get idle. They don't have to do much. They don't have a purpose. And instead of relying on Jesus for their purpose and identity, they wax wanton against Christ. And so they make up their own. They get remarried. And such is why Paul in verses 14 and 15 prefers that these younger widows uh, actually do not be registered on this enrollment. But actually they get remarried in the first place. He says, I will therefore, verse 14, that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. For some are already turned aside after Satan. Strong words again. Strong words for Timothy's ministry to these destitute widows. Those who were truly needy. And what is he saying here? I think he's saying Timothy practiced wisdom. And how you use the church's means to have compassion on those that fall under your care. Provide and minister to your family. Yes. And make that your primary calling. But also too if you have the means relieve those who are afflicted too. Those who are afflicted elsewhere. 
It's his duty towards the destitute. It's one that is to be practiced responsibly. One in which the horizontal is so empowered by the vertical that it has uh, power to affect many, many relationships. And he was to do so seriously and graciously. It's the function of God's church as a family. You can see Paul getting after it. Timothy, charge the family. Uh, Have them care for them. This is what it means to be the family of faith. But notice thirdly, from verse 17 down through the end of the chapter, we have Timothy's direction toward the stewards. Look at verse 17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. So here, he sort of lays down directions for Timothy uh, towards the stewards of the church. Towards the elders, those who were overseeing not just this church, but all churches in the area. And yes, I think this was also meant to uh, be in Timothy's life as he was to uh, disciple other pastors to take over other churches. These were to become some of the practical and functional ways in which the church would be able to subsist. In both church life and in real life. In Paul's, uh, I want you to notice verse 23. Because it's such an odd verse as you go through the text. Timothy is being told how he is to uh, uh, take matters regarding elders into into wisdom and care. And then all of a sudden verse 23 comes along and it says, Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. It appears curiously in the text, does it not? He's talking about elders, he's talking in verses 21 and 22, which we'll get into in a minute, just about how he is to practice wisdom and ordination, and then in verse 24, and how how some men's actions will appear occasionally, and then he says in verse 23, drink some wine. It appears odd, it appears kind of just stand out like a sore thumb, but I would like to say just quickly that Paul's instruction here is not for any sort of social benefits of drinking this wine. It's a medicinal sort of prescription for Timothy. It's something in which he was to use for a sort of the health of his own body. Timothy is being charged here, I think, not just many people, I think nowadays wrongfully so, I think use this verse as a verse in which they can say, Look, Paul made it okay. I can drink whatever and whenever I want. I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. I don't think that Paul is giving Timothy the freedom to crack open a course whenever he wants to. He's using this in a specific way to say, Timothy, care for your body. You are toiling. He says in verse, uh, I think it's verse 12, verse 10 of chapter 4, we are laboring and suffering for the sake of this gospel. You are toiling after the ministry of the church. Don't forget To care for your own heart and soul and life. Your mind and body need rest and health as well. It's essentially you are no good, Timothy, to the church if you have no ability to uh, be healthy. Take care of your body. Do not neglect your physical and your mental health as you are stewarding the faith. It's an important reminder. 
pastors, I think, go through something as they are shepherding the church. We saw this just recently with that pastor who committed suicide. That's not just a one-off story. There's uh, been stories like that throughout our recent history in the church, just of pastors being so incredibly stressed and mentally exhausted that they feel like they have to end their own life. I can't imagine what would bring them to that state, but I also can't imagine uh, coming to that grips with that decision. I feel for them. That pastor, he needed rest. Unfortunately, he was not able to get some here on earth. And I pray for his family still. And I think Paul's injunction here of Timothy is a very sort of relevant warning. Timothy, take care of yourself. Timothy, take care of your own body. It's not... A license just to drink freely. This authorization of wine here to drink is for medicine, not as a beverage. I think it's very important to see that. Timothy, steward your body as you are stewarding the church. But notice verse 17. Quickly, he says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Those here who are laboring and suffering for the faith here, he says, were worthy of double honor. Honor, of course, is a word that, yes, as we saw with the widows, was to include sort of uh, monetary support. But it's not just that. It's not just that that's included in there. It's, It's more encompassing than that. Timothy, as you are pouring your life into the church, honor those, respect those who are likewise pouring their lives into the church. Set up your ministry as one that honors them that serve. That gives them the respect and value and regard that they are due for their sacrifice. This is how he was to tend to the needs of the church. Give them double honor, I think it says. And I think uh, no doubt this has been exploited by pastors throughout our church history. uh, Just being lazy and idle and relying on the church to support them all throughout their lives. But I think here what he's saying here, those who are, uh, as it says in verse 17, ruling well, be counted worthy of double honor. Respect them, regard them, support them, free them up to serve the church. I think proper, uh, properly, this was to give a sense of seriousness to the weight of this office. Look at verse 22. He says, lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. He is preparing other men for ministry. He is preparing himself for ministry. And he is to uh, practice sort of some proper protocols here as he gets into to pastor well and avoid scandal afflicting the church. And how does he do that? Well, he does so here in verse 22 that before he ordains men into ministry to shepherd other ministries, beware of who you put into that position. Lay hands on no man suddenly. Watch who you appoint. Be careful who you lay hands on to steward the church. Because this is a great responsibility. 
It's not something to be toyed with or played with. It's not something to be abused or misused. And if it is so, it will reflect poorly on you, he says. It has such powerful responsibility and you can affect men's hearts. And yes, as we saw last week, the seriousness of it in which it affects men's souls. That here, if you lay hands on one too quickly, too hastily, you may be made to virtually partake of their sins, he says. Practice wisdom and discernment. The gospel doesn't need to make you hasty. It doesn't mean to make you feel a sense of needing to uh, do things too quickly. That is to be not concerned with your church. That is to have a disconcern for your family. And it's actually, as he says there, it's partnering with their wrongdoing. Not suddenly, not rashly, but after deliberation. Look at what he says in verse 4. Lay hands on them after deliberating over them. As he says, verse 24, some men's sins are open beforehand, going before to judgment, and some men they follow after. Likewise also the good works of some are manifest beforehand, and they that are otherwise cannot be hid. Examine them. Be careful, Timothy. Watch men's characters. See how they live. See how they react and interact. Yes, in horizontal ways. Are they too, as I have said of you, being an example? Are they living an example's life? Not hastily moving into such installments of pastors. I think that's how he was to keep himself pure. Keep his ministry pure. Keep the, uh, the ability of the church to remain functioning pure. Notice also how he's to do it in verse 19. Against an elder, he says, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Here he's saying that if scandal does strike, if there is strife or something, uh, something that, is, um, uh, that is informal or immoral that comes against one of her elders, you should handle it in a very formal way. Again, this office and this church is a serious matter, Timothy. You're dealing with men's souls. Don't hear an accusation against an elder conspicuously or privately or suspiciously. Handle it formally, with regard, with respect, with honor to those elders to whom you are showing honor. Follows Christ's commands back in Matthew 18. That you hear a matter between two and then it goes on from there. But here he's saying these matters with elders, they, these troubles that come upon them, they are serious, Timothy. And loose handling of them, of such matters, could entangle the church in such worse affairs than ever before. Such is why he says in verse 20, Them that sin, rebuke before all, that others also may fear. Them that sin there, in verse 20, really just implies this idea, those who are keeping on sinning. You can kind of get the idea. Timothy, go before this elder, reprimand him, rebuke him, charge him to correct his actions. And then if he keeps on doing it, rebuke this man before your church. Rebuke him, as it says, before all. He was a public servant, Timothy. He deserves, unfortunately so, a public reprimand. It's a harsh warning. Serious words. And I think such is to heighten the seriousness of Timothy's own position. 
Timothy, you have the position to affect men's hearts and lives and souls. Do not squander it. Do not waste it. Do not treat it lightly. But Timothy, take into it the severity of it, of your ministry. Of your ministry of the word of faith and truth and grace. Care for your church. Care for your family. Yes, even your family who are ministering in ways like you are. This is how the church of God functions like a family. I think it's easy to get inundated and lost in all the minutiae of this chapter. And all the little details of how the church was to function and the ways it was functioning. And all these different avenues. I have to be honest with you, I struggled as I was reading this chapter throughout this last week, reading and, and diving into it and endeavoring to show how this truth applies to us today. But I think really what this entire chapter is about is how the gospel affects our deference and our compassion. Putting the needs of others before ourselves. Putting their cares, their anxieties, their worries as, and taking them on as our own. Honoring them and respecting them. Revering your church as your own family. Honoring God's family. Which demonstrates our faith in the God that brings us all into his kingdom. This is the enormity of Timothy's mission. One that was serious. One that was one in which he was to practice with seriousness. As an example of the faith. And how? Well look at verse 21. He says, I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another doing nothing by partiality. He's reminding Timothy. Of who he's serving. Timothy as you are affecting lives. In these horizontal ways. And means and relationships. Remind yourself who you're serving. In the midst of them. You are serving the king. The king of all creation. The king of all worlds and galaxies. And yes even the king of your salvation. This is who you are serving. And such a reminder. Sobers and gives us a seriousness. In the way in which we serve. It gives us a responsibility and it gives us a duty to perform and to care for the church. And to refuse to do so, just as he says in verse 8. To refuse to care for your own family is worse than being an infidel. It's to renounce the faith. Timothy, the gospel is serious. And it has things that we are to perform and function as the outgrowing of the outpouring of the gospel. It's the gospel in action. It's the gospel of Christ. That gospel which he was preaching unto Timothy. The gospel of Christ crucified that saves sinners. The chief of sinners. That has an enormous and deep impact on our compassion for those that are around us. And how? We defer. We honor them. Timothy, show them respect and honor and reverence. As your own family. They too are blood bought sinners. By the one who saves the chief of sinners. They are your family. 
We got to get used to one another. We're going to be spending a long time together in heaven. So even if we don't like each other now, we got to get used to it because we're going to be with each other for a long time. So I'm sorry. Maybe you're not sorry. I don't know. Maybe we can spend opposite times. We can, I'll drink my southern sweet tea and you can have whatever you drink up here in the north. That's not good tea. It's unsweet tea. I don't know what it is. Whatever it is, you can have it in your corner and I'll go to my corner. It's fine. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, this is the church of God. It's a family. I, I've said this before in a couple other venues, but I have uh, just enjoyed so much coming and getting to know this church. Coming and allowing uh, myself to be poured out for you as you're pouring yourself into me. And I think one of the most uh, stark realities for me is seeing how I feel a part of this family already. I was saying to someone, I think in Sunday school, how it feels like we've been here for many years instead of just a couple of months. And I mean that in the best way. <laughs> and I was just saying how it's exactly how I feel like when we are at a, at a sporting event. You know, when you're at a, when you're at a football game, uh, I'll just say this. I love wa- watching Florida State football, and I've been to many Florida State games. And uh, it's so funny when my dad and my brother and I would go to Florida State games, we'd be sitting there in a crowd of 83,000 people watching the same team. And what happens? <laughs> when your team scores, you are high-fiving and, yes, perhaps even hugging the people that are around you. I don't know this guy from Adam. And yet now, because our team scores, we feel like we're brothers, <laughs> We're high-fiving and cheering. Why? Because we have the same team. You feel like a family. And in an odd way, and I don't mean it to be funny, but I think that's what the church is too. Why? Because as Paul says elsewhere, we have the same God. There is one God and one mediator between God and men. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are a family. We are brothers and sisters of that king who has saved us and bought us and redeemed us by his blood. And such is why we can come into a church. Such is why we can go into churches all across this country and feel like family. Why? Because we've been bought by the same blood. We've been bought by the same precious blood that flowed at Calvary. You have so many extended spiritual brothers and sisters that you don't know right now, but one day you'll get to know. One day you'll get to rejoice with them. As we sing, worthy is the Lamb to receive honor and glory and majesty forever. The Lamb who washed away our sins. Let me just read this verse because I just thought of it. And I love, I love it because it's what we will all be rejoicing In, there, in glory. Revelation 7, verse 14. Well, let me back up. Verse 13. And one of the elders saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are part of that family who have been clothed in the white robes of his very righteousness. Such is why we can be the family of God. We can defer and honor one another. Why? Because of this very great truth. 
It's a truth that unites us, and it's a truth that empowers us and incites us and invites us to show this honor and respect and reverence to all those in which you are doing life and faith in. What an enormous truth. The honor in God's family. Such was Timothy's ministry, such is ours as well. Let us pray.